Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Lit Service, where we're fans of fiction and purveyors of Donji writing advice. My name is Aaliyah, and if I was in the circus, I would do an act with little yappy purse dogs, because there is nothing more terrifying in the world than an unleashed little yappy purse dog, and I think it would be thrilling. <laughs> Aaliyah always kills it on these, and I feel dumb going after her. <laughs> My name is Caitlin. And if I were in the circus, I would want to do a daring trapeze act because then people would like it the best. I don't know. I mean, trapeze <laughs> artists are the best. And then I could be like Zendaya and have pink hair or something. And I feel like that, as far as life goals, is is my highest one. Caitlin, you know you could have pink hair anytime you feel like, right? Yes, I win. <laughs> Cameron, and my dream circus act involves a trained swarm of bats that delivers popcorn <laughs> balls and possibly cotton candy to everyone in the audience. But would you want to eat it when it came from a bat? <laughs> about my dreams, not yours. Okay, right, sorry. <laughs> I'm Kristen, and my dream act in the circus would be juggling more and more preposterous items. So, like, I'd start off with balls, and then I'd go to knives, and then somehow be, like, juggling Cameron's bats or Leah's puppies, and then I would be juggling people from the audience, and... It would just get crazier and crazier, and people would be watching with bated breath until probably I ended up dropping like an elephant or something. <laughs> I am Marissa, um, and I actually did take a trapeze flying class one time. Um, so I would, but that is so, so not the dream job because it was terrifying. It was one of the most terrifying experiences of my entire life. Uh, so I hope to never, ever touch another trapeze again. <laughs> Um, that sounds scary. It was. Oh gosh, it was. I'm not. I'm not like afraid of heights, but I'm afraid enough that, yeah. I by the end of the class, I was like, okay, did that. Cross that off the list. Uh, now I'm God. afraid of heights. <laughs> yeah. Um. So so what would mine? I mean, I would want to wear a really sparkly sequin dress and ride in on a super majestic animal, and quote poetry that then makes magical things happen i would be so there for that act (laughs) (laughs) worth the ticket price (laughs) is it poetry you write or someone else's poetry like classics of poetry uh no i mean i think that i would make up my own it would be inspired by what i'm seeing in the circus and in the audience that day Please don't now ask me to make up a poem. (laughs) (laughs) The cotton candy ambiance would just do it for you. (laughs) Right. This is fantasy. I don't actually have that talent. There you go. Okay, so a big welcome to Marissa Meyer, New York Times bestselling author of The Lunar Chronicles, Heartless, and The Renegades series. There are beautiful new covers for The Lunar Chronicles that have just been released, so be sure you go check them out, even if you've already read the books. Marissa, thank you for coming on the show. We're thrilled to have you. Thank you. Super excited to be here. So if you have read any of Marissa's books, you know she is a master at juggling different points of view. So today, um, per the circus theme, we wanted to talk about how to successfully juggle multiple points of view. So to start us off, um, here's a basic question. Why have multiple points of view? What can it do for your story? 
Yeah, so there's uh, a number of reasons. Um, for me, so the two series that I have written that had multiple points of view uh, were The Lunar Chronicles, which is my my series of sci-fi fairy tale retellings. And that series, by the end of the books, I think we're up to like 13 or 14 different viewpoint characters. And I knew from the beginning before I started writing them that it was going to, you know, hop from character to character Largely because I knew that it was going to be a really grand, complex story um, with many different subplots and many different characters all kind of going off and having their own stories and their own romances and their own adventures. And that I was going to have to find a way to kind of weave the stories together as I went. So it couldn't logistically be told from one character's point of view because there was going to be a lot of times in which that character wasn't present for some of the big things that were happening. And so I just decided early on it was going to be third person tense uh, or third person point of view and that every scene would be, you know, kind of in the head of a different viewpoint character. And so that's one reason that you would choose to do that is if you just can't tell the story from one main character um, and you kind of need to be able to move into different characters at different places, then, then having multiple points of view is a great way to do that. For my other series, the Renegades trilogy, there's really only two viewpoint characters, uh, Adrian and Nova, who are the two main characters of the book and the story, you know, alternates between them. And for that, I, the, the, premise of the story is that Nova is a supervillain and Adrian is a superhero and they're of course on opposite sides of this war essentially between heroes and villains but over the course of the story they start to fall in love with each other Um, and so I wanted to be able to tell the story from both points of view uh, largely because I wanted to be able to show the world from both points of view they've been raised very differently they have very different ideas of what's right and what's wrong and what are the problems facing the society that they're in and how do they fix that. And I wanted to be able to show over the course of the story how each of them were changing in their their thoughts and their beliefs. Um, so yeah, so that's why I made that choice. I really liked a lot of the things you said there, actually. That's one of my favorite things about multiple POV stories is that you get a much bigger picture than you get from a single point of view. I feel like a first person or just a single point of view, you end up with a very narrow story where you get to see, and not in a bad way, just actually that's one of the the strengths of having a story like that is you get one person's point of view so you can hide things from the main character and surprises can come out and they can change and that's awesome. But when you have multiple points of view, then you can have multiple story arcs and it's a much bigger um, picture of the world and of the story that you're telling. I also really like multiple points of view because it can um, result in a really quickly paced story because you end up, you know, switching from people right when people want to keep reading about them. That's It's better for cliffhangers that are real cliffhangers rather than <laughs> fake ones. <laughs> I also think there's a wonderful potential for dramatic irony with multiple points of view just because one character will know something, the other character doesn't know that thing. And as a reader, you're privileged to know both perspectives. So in really tense moments, you can really understand where everyone is coming from. And that moment of like, when there's miscommunication among characters, when you just kind of want to like scream because you know what they're miscommunicating about, it makes for really, really pleasant reading. And it's just, it's a great way to increase tension. Awesome. So then if you do decide to go the route of multiple POVs, one of the biggest issues um, 
I think people complain about is the different perspectives sounding the same. How can we keep different perspectives sounding different and distinct? Yeah, I mean, I think this is something that, you know, as a writer, it can be tricky whether you're writing one book or one series with multiple points of view or whether you're many books into your career and wanting to distinguish, you know, main protagonists, um, you know, trying to develop characters uh, and make them interesting and unique. I mean, that is that is one of the the most difficult uh, and yet I think many of us think the most fun parts of being a writer um, is getting to know these characters and getting to to figure them out and who they are and what do they sound like? What is their voice? What is their personality? For me, it really depends on the character. There are some characters that kind of pop into my head almost fully formed and they have a really distinct voice and I just feel like I know them right away and can, you know, immediately write something from their point of view and have it feel authentic and real to that character. Uh, And that's great when that happens. But then there's other characters where I might end up writing maybe three or four drafts of the book before I really feel like, okay, now I'm figuring them out. Now I understand like where, what their childhood was like and what their backstory is and what that is that they're hoping to accomplish, what are their goals and their dreams. And all of that, figuring out all of that also then lends itself to figuring out their voice. And you kind of get to know these characters. You know, are they, is this someone who uh, is very sweet and caring, maybe kind of naive? Well, that's going to, they're going to say things one way and pick their words in one way, which is going to be totally different from someone who's maybe very resentful and bitter about the world and, you know, has a really short temper and they're going to speak a totally different way and have a different point of view looking at the world and treat other characters differently. Um, And so just as you get to know these characters, uh, you can kind of let their personalities really come to the surface in the the things that they're saying and the things that they're thinking, and then, of course, translate through their actions as well. I feel like it's really hard as a newer writer to try and figure this out because you're still trying to find your own voice as a writer. And I think that all of the things that Marissa just said were really good ways to think about each character individually. You have to think about where they come from, the, thing, the way that they see the world, and I think another thing that you can, like, if you if your character's voice comes out fully formed, something that I really like about the um, the Lunar Chronicles is that each of those characters, um, well, I mean, there are a lot more than just the, the named books characters. Like you said, there are a bunch of characters, especially in the last one. But I can distinctively remember each of those main characters, especially, and what they sounded like and what was important to them and what they liked and even the way that they moved. I still remember Cress dancing through everything and, and knowing instinctively when I was in her point of view who was talking just because she was doing that. I would that, also so. add um, one thing that I, I try hard, really hard to do when I'm writing from a certain character's point of view um, is thinking about like the different analogies that someone would make. Like if I'm in Cinder's point of view um, and I'm making an analogy to something, it's probably going to be she's going to compare it to something based on mechanics or uh, you know, science, spaceships, robots, robotics, that sort of thing. Whereas if I'm from Scarlett's point of view, she grew up on a farm. So the the things that she's going to compare to are going to be, you know, animals and wildlife and farm life. And so, you know, every character, they're going to think of the world in a different way. They're going to have different reference points um, for different things. So that was something that I thought about a lot and continue to think about a lot. 
I really like that. And it brings to mind a good way to really hone in on this aspect of your writing and workshop it is to go through and write down all those different characteristics that make a character what they are. You know, how they think, how they see the world, how they walk, how they speak. And even in real life, this is something you can do. You can think of the most quirky people you know are people with really strong personalities and bring out your notebook and write down what it is that makes them the way they are. And then that's something you can translate later to your characters. And then never show anyone those notebooks. (laughs) Serial killer. They will come up if you run for president, though. Be warned. (laughs) Okay, so another issue we run into sometimes with multiple POVs is something called POV bloat. And by that, we mean different perspectives that both are looking back at the same thing. So telling the story from the same telling the same story from different perspectives or um, overlapping information just because we're switching between people's heads. What can we do to trim this down and keep each perspective just, you know, as as slim and streamlined as it can be? Yeah, I I mean, as a reader, I think that's one of my bigger pet peeves um, with a book that has multiple points of view is when you're just rehashing the same scene or the same information over and over again. And so I really try hard to avoid that. Of course, one relatively easy way is to never cover the same time period from two different points of view. And if you do have to go back, like, let's say, you know, you tell this scene from character A's point of view, and then for whatever reason, now you really need to get character B's perspective on it. Well, you don't have to rewrite the whole scene. We know what happened. We've seen it. But just give us what are the really pertinent details from character B? Why is it important for us to see that character's perspective? Did they see something that character A didn't see? Are they, were they involved in a different way? And we really need to know what their motivation was, Um, you know, and just give us that, that really important and necessary information. You don't have to rewrite the entire scene again. I feel like it's really important to some people or like when, when you're trying to um, give your characters an arc, you really want your readers to be present for every single part of it. But like Kristen mentioned earlier, one of the best parts about reading multiple POVs is dramatic irony. And so being able to both like to know what one character is going through, but then also to see the other character reacting to it through the other character's eyes, you already kind of know what that character is thinking and feeling if you know the other character well enough. Another thing that you can do too is you can show a a scene from one character's perspective and then you can have the reaction to the scene in the next person's perspective. Yeah, no, I think that's a great way to do it and to kind of show once you do move into that second character's point of view, you know, to kind of have them thinking about what just happened and then maybe their physical and their emotional uh, reaction to that and how it's affecting them can be every bit if not more powerful than just going back and retelling it. I was just thinking about what you said earlier Marissa actually about how part of the reason you chose so many points of view uh, to write from was because you knew they wouldn't all be present for all the important moments and I think to avoid point of view bloat I think it helps to know that your characters don't all have to be present for every important moment. Like if you have more than two uh, POV characters, we don't have to find out what everybody thinks about the same event. We only really need to know what's relevant for a particular character's arc. And so if a scene doesn't really affect them, they don't need to be there. Or even if they do need to be there, you know, because because a part of the plot, they're there. Um, we don't necessarily need to get into their head to to see it from there. From there, exactly. Yep. 
And then as an extra thing on the end of all of that, even if the individual reactions from everybody to something that just happened are important, you don't have to put them on the page immediately. Um, I think this is actually something that I'm going to throw Aurora Rising into our mentioned list for this episode. But there's a few times in that book where something incredibly dramatic will happen and you don't find out about an incredibly important uh, reaction from one of the main characters to that event until a few chapters later when it becomes immediately relevant to the plot. And it's great because you're mm-hmm. in suspense in the meantime because you don't know how they're going to react. And then it happens and you're like, oh, oh, oh. Yeah, yeah I just finished yeah, reading uh, Shadow of the Fox by Julie Kagawa um, and she does a great job. It's another one where it's told from alternating points of view, the male perspective and the female perspective. And she does this extremely well um, in one particularly memorable point. The the male character is very stoic and very unemotional and closed off in a lot of ways. Um, and there's this moment that could be seen as very romantic. And to the girl, you can tell that she's feeling something because it's in her perspective. Um, but we get absolutely nothing from him. And then it isn't until quite a bit later in the story when we're inside of his head and he flashes back to that moment. Um, and I thought that was a really powerful way to do it, that she didn't jump directly into his point of view and give us like the immediate repercussions and his immediately thoughts and feelings about that moment. Then when she did go back to it, it kind of gave this impression that like, oh, he's really been dwelling on this and thinking a lot about it. Um, so I thought that was a really great way to do it too. I think it can also create forward momentum for your reader because they'll want to know what that person is thinking. Definitely. So they'll be excited to get to that POV. So maybe we've already touched on this a little bit then, but what are some other tips we can give for keeping each perspective quickly paced. I was just going to echo something Caitlin said earlier in that one of the one, you know, one of the great ways to keep it streamlined is just jump from head to head and only show the critical moments. Like obviously mm-hmm. when you're talking pacing, you have to have some a little bit of downtime, but as long as you keep it to just what you need, then the story will keep moving and it won't feel bogged down. Well, I don't know if it's downtime so much as you need time for characters both to be in the middle of stuff happening and then to have time to process it and then to go on and continue to have stuff happening um otherwise get like action fatigue i was just thinking that when you have multiple povs you have to be especially careful with your prose you have to be especially tight because having multiple points of view means you have three or i keep thinking three the last book i wrote had three and so therefore there must be three not really you you have um however many characters who have a point of view, you have to get through a whole character arc with them and you probably have subplots and and things that matter specifically to those characters. So it's already going to be a longer book. And I mean, depending on what genre you write, if you write adult epic fantasy, you can get away with like 300,000 words, but all of us write YA and you have to be much more careful than that. And so you just have to be really careful about how many words you use and keep it tight. Regardless of whose head you're in at any given point, make sure that something important is happening in every single scene. Um, And I do feel like there can be this pressure when you're writing multiple points of view that you're like, oh, I haven't touched on this character's thoughts in 50 pages. I should do a chapter from their perspective. Or a lot of books will alternate, you know, from character to character and kind of ping pong back and forth. And I think that that's a really great method of storytelling. But if you're doing that, you have to make sure that every scene, regardless of whose point of view, has something that is pushing the story forward. And so don't, you know, don't jump into a character's head 
just for the sake of being in that character for a moment, um, make sure that it is relevant to the story and always moving forward. Another thing that helps is to get into a scene late and then get out of the scene early. That's like the the short story advice you always get. But the the less just like chat and where nothing is actually moving the story forward in that moment that you can get away with, the better. <laughs> Depending on the kind of story you're telling, I suppose. We're about out of time for this part of the podcast, but does anybody have any final thoughts before we move on? Awesome. So there you have it, folks. Juggling 101. Okay. Juggling 101. Elephants now- and magical <laughs> poems. <laughs> Basically the same thing, right? Perspectives, <laughs> elephants, magic poems. So now we move on to the portion of the podcast where we um, critique an audience submission. And this week has been very exciting. Kristen, do you want to give us the news? Sure. I I don't know if it's really news so much. We just, this week we had a ton of submissions. So thank you so much to all of you for letting us look at your work. Just some things to think about for the future uh, for your submissions to us or to anybody else. But follow submission guidelines. Ours are usually in line. Ours are pretty much in line with the guidelines you'll find for any agency. Uh, So Times New Roman, 12-point font. Double space your work, paste it in the body of an email, don't attach anything. And I know that that sounds extremely arbitrary and ridiculous, but it actually does make a difference because a lot of times editors and agents don't have a lot of time to read and they have a lot of things to read. And following those guidelines makes it really easy to see what they need to see for a project. So just just that's a friendly warning, or not warning, a reminder, I guess. <laughs> that sounds threatening. It's a warning to you. Just a thing to keep in mind. But um, something else that we got was a lot of really wonderful notes from people saying that this was the first time they ever showed anyone their work. So we are flattered and honored that we were chosen to do those. <laughs> Let's be honest. Everybody wanted Marissa Meyer to I know. for the first time. but <laughs> It wasn't us. <laughs> it was for Marissa. <laughs> um, but we do... Obviously, because we are a podcast that started as a writing group, we highly recommend writing groups. And we do have a way on our website that you can go and look at the writing group finder in the forum and find each other so that, you know, you guys can have people to critique with because that's a really essential part of the writing process. And it's just a lot of fun, too. Well, and also it's not like not everybody critiques the same way. Some people don't work in groups. Some people just have critique partners or whatever else. But it is really important to have other people read your work before you send it to professionals. I mean, we're like, it's not the same as sending your work to an agent or anything. (laughs) But and we got so many lovely chapters. You guys are awesome. But um, maybe don't (laughs) tell editors and agents that this is the first time anyone has seen your work. Just as a a friendly (laughs) reminder. But we're really, really happy to read for you guys. You guys are awesome. And all that being said, we do have a few episodes coming up where we'll use previously submitted chapters. So if we don't do yours today, make sure you tune in again to see if we pick you next. A quick review of how we critique. We try to be non-prescriptive. And if you'd like to check out the text of this submission for yourself and see all of our notes, you can see it on our website, litservicepodcast.wixsite.com slash litnation. If you would like a first chapter critique from us another time, you can find our submission guidelines there. So, a summary of this week's chapter. The bo- a daring boss of a smuggler ring pulls off a heist on a busy intergalactic trading post. 
So very exciting. What are some things we liked? I always love um, like space heists. I mean, I'm like, yep, I I will read this if there's stealing and space involved. So Um, I got some serious Han Solo vibes from (laughs) Lincoln, the main character. So I always love me some Han Solo vibes. Who doesn't? (laughs) Lincoln also has a metal arm, which I thought was so cool. I think there was a pretty cool detail about that arm, actually, uh, about how it's a replacement for a previous one that got crushed in a raid that went south, which I thought told us a lot of information in a yeah, short amount Yeah, I feel like in general, time. we got a lot of great um, world building in these early pages. Um, you can really start to get a sense for the vastness of this galaxy that it's taking place in. Um, there's always already kind of uh, some hints of classism. Um, there's some um, political warfare and drama happening so i think that for being a relatively fast-paced submission means you know just 10 pages you're still you're getting a lot of information um and and really starting to get a sense of of what the world is agreed i loved i loved having the vision of a wider galaxy out there for instance this is just a line i loved lincoln looks over and sees his lackey (laughs) or someone and he says shun a pleasant young boy with gills below his jaw and i just thought that one line told us so much about Mm -hmm. kind of how he sees the world it was just normal to be around someone with gills below their jaw um if we're good to move on what are some things that might need a second look i think okay I think there's a lot of really cool world building, but it does take a while to actually get to a character or some sort of plot that we should be worried about. So I think one thing that could help is just starting a little bit closer to the action and and giving us that world building through the narrative. I agree. I have a note on my pages. What are so this is the one, two, three, four, five, the sixth paragraph in. Um, is the first mention um, for of Lincoln. Lincoln swiped a berry from an unattended crate, popped it in his mouth, and pulled his hood lower. His metal fingers glinted in the fluorescent market lights. Uh, and I love that. And I, if if I were to be rewriting this, I would probably make that the opening line. And then once we've seen a little bit of this character now start expanding into the world around him and the world that he's seeing um, and give us some more of that exposition and more of those setting details, um, but get us like into that character's head right away so that we know whose eyes we're looking through. So I was just thinking as I was reading it, like which of these things is going to be most important for this scene? I feel like this is something that people struggle with a lot. Like I know I do. I wrote um, a fantasy heist that is, it's coming out next year, <clears throat> self plug, but it, it, it starts similarly. It's not in space, but I wanted to give a little, like a scene that would promise what the book was about. And so I did a little mini heist at the beginning, which I think that is such a great promise for the rest of this book. But because there's so many big blocks of world building, um, it was really hard to get there, which I think is what we've all said so far. But I would love to get like little tidbits of that as as we go. I, I was a little bit ungrounded, though, when we first started. We got all this information about the spaceport, but then when we got to him actually walking toward the ship, I wasn't sure how big the dock was or how far he had to get his stolen merchandise to get back to a ship. It says it takes about a third of the asteroid, but I don't know how big the asteroid is. And so I didn't know if we were running the length of like a football field or if we were trying to like get, is it miles or is it, you know, just around the corner? I, I wasn't quite sure. I th- like uh, yeah, I think it's it's worth noting that like for the entire first page, there is no sensory blocking. It's just it's just information about this place. There's no there's no details to indicate that this is being seen by someone. 
or being explained by someone. It's just raw information on the page. Which is really good information to know, especially for the writer. But it also means that the POV is just floating in space uh, until yeah. we get Lincoln's name so dropped. So I think for me, um, one of the, the biggest suggestions that I might have, and of course, not knowing where the story is going, there's always that question of, well, maybe this will work, maybe this won't work for what the writer has planned. But so in these 10 pages, we have Lincoln, presumably a spaceship captain, um, and he's there with his crew, and they have come to steal you know, two boxes of cargo. Well, while they are there stealing this cargo, uh, Lincoln kind of overhears these soldiers uh, who are moving a device, a mysterious device. And Lincoln very quickly kind of abandons their original plan to get these, you know, two boxes of cargo, the reason that they're there, and instead starts, you know, thinking, oh, how can I get this device? And it made me wonder uh, first of all, is this seems like a really risky thing for him to do um, based on very little information that he has about this device. And as my gears were turning, I began to think, well, would it work better if they were actually there for this device in the first place? Um, and could it be set up that that's the whole reason that him and his crew have come here is to get this device, uh, which I think could make for a uh, something that has higher stakes right off the bat and maybe... Uh, give us something more of a motivation for the character to show like what sorts of risks he and his crew are willing to take um, and what is motivating them to steal this. Um, so just an idea. If I can of that, I think that was that kind of goes to what my main concern with the submission was in that I don't know why Lincoln is doing any of this. You know, ostensibly, you know, he's a criminal. He probably wants money, but why? Why is it? Is it just because you know he has an avarice problem? Does he need to pay off a debt, or the space pirates are going to come skin him alive? Like what? What is the what is the emotion driving him to do something as crazy and reckless and dangerous? Oh hey, heavily armed guards by a crate. I'm going to steal it. Yeah, I agree. I really wanted to know that. Also, I, I had those exact same thoughts. I would point out that this early in the story. You don't necessarily, as the writer, have to tell us what that motivation is, as long as you're implying that there is some underlying motivation there. Final thoughts? Along with that, I, so I could be completely wrong, but it seems like Lincoln has a crew that he re relies really heavily on, but we don't actually get to see them or have them participate at all. And if, when you start with action in a book... You can go to, like, people always talk about how starting with action in a book is the wrong thing to do, which I don't agree with at all. I think that action is a really great place to show characters and how they work together and why they matter to each other and, and what they're going to do when they're together. But we didn't get to see anybody but Lincoln in this submission. So if this is like a crew book where the other characters are really, really important, rather than, like right now, the vibe I'm getting is that Lincoln has a crew but doesn't care very much about them and also doesn't need them very much because he can just do whatever he wants because he's able to steal the two crates by himself and then he's able to take this box also by himself without even really talking to his crew at all. So if that's not what you're going for, I would have loved to see mm -hmm. just a little bit more of how they planned this out together. Um, I'm being super prescriptive. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> but I, I mean, I would have loved to know more about the crew and why they matter to him or if they matter to him at all. No, I totally had the same thought, especially because we get we get 
some hints that he is talking to his crew. Like he taps his leg as a sign to his crew and, and he thinks about his first mate or I can't think of what phrase they actually use, but we don't get those. We don't get their names. We don't get their personalities. We don't really know how he feels about them. And I think that would help. Like the setting feels very fully formed, but I'm not totally sure that the people feel fully formed and him having connections to other people could help him feel more like a real person. Awesome. So that's our time on that. Did anybody have anything else that they were just burning to say? Okay, thank you to this author for submitting. We loved reading your work. That was a fun submission. And Marissa, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been great to have you. My pleasure. No, thank you. And I, I second that. Thanks to the writer who was was daring enough to send us their work. It was really <laughs> fun to read. I really enjoyed it. So I'm glad that I got to be a part of this. It was only mm-hmm. one of like 100 people who wanted you to read their chapters. So, you know. <laughs> Thanks to everybody. <laughs> Listeners, if you haven't already read Marissa Meyer's fabulous books, be sure to check them out. The Lunar Chronicles, Heartless, and the Renegade series. You have other books too, don't you, Marissa? We sort of pared that down, unfortunately. Uh, no, Lunar Chronicles, Heartless, Renegades trilogy, and then my uh, Wires and Nerve graphic novels. Oh, that's yeah. what it was. There you go. Novels. There you go. Okay. So check those out as well. Those ones are great, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Our next guest will be Lauren Spieler, who is a literary agent at Triata USA and also the author of She's the Worst and Your Destination is on the Left. If you want a first chapter critique from Lauren, check out our submission guidelines and get us your work by April 16th. After that, we'll have Dong Wong Song, who is an agent at Howard Morhaime Literary and formerly an editor at Orbit Books. If you'd like a first chapter critique from Dong Wong, get us your work by April 27th. Thank you to our intern, the social media goddess, Lindsay Owens, and our sound designer, Alan Singster. If you want to ask us questions, tell us we're awesome, or whine about how your writing is going, you can find us on social media or email us at litservicepodcast at gmail.com. Please remember to like, share, and review the podcast. It helps us grow. For Lit Service, thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks.